of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saints, let every nation shout of your faith. Jesus is coming
Father, we want to thank you for the promise you've given us. The promise of Jesus reappearing and ushering in your kingdom. And we want to be a part of that in all of your glory. We pray, Father, that our worship today would reflect the desires of our hearts and the yearnings of our hearts for you. Thank you for being present with us. Thank you for for the transforming work that you want to do in us, even as we worship today. Be glorified in all that we do in this time together, and we ask this through Jesus. Amen. There are lots of things uh, in your bulletin. Let me encourage you to take a moment, look at those. There's some inserts as well. And uh, let's take a few moments and uh, greet one another this morning here in worship. morning. First of all, I want to thank those who uh, helped out in some way with the dessert auction this past Friday, those who helped with baked goods as well as those who came and and were part of the auction. Uh, Just over $300 was raised for the upcoming sports ministry trip to Romania and Austria. This trip will be a soccer-specific sports ministry trip. We'll use soccer as a ministry tool. Uh, We have members of the Houghton women's soccer team, uh, Roberts Wesleyan women's soccer team, and a member of our field hockey uh, and softball team here at the college. Our primary theme will be to love and to serve. Uh, We're using some photos from our last trip. This is a follow-up trip to one which we made in 2016. And uh, we will minister to children uh, as well as adults. We will share uh, through singing and testimonies. just spending time with people. Uh, We'll provide soccer clinics. Uh, We'll most likely run another soccer tournament. Uh, And as a part of that, uh, the facility that we used in Kalarashi, we had to uh, paint uh, at the stadium for the use of the the facility. So we spent uh, some time painting there and we used that facility for the soccer tournament. We also had match ministry there as well. Also go to an orphanage for older children, ages 16 to 18. A lot of times the orphanages that uh, most people would like to visit are the ones with the little kids because they're so cute and uh, you love to pick them up and everything. But we we wanted to go where people were neglected and a lot of people don't really care about the 16 to 18-year-olds, so that's where we went. Uh, We played a boys team and I understand they want a rematch because they had never played uh, women before. And uh, they were a little stunned when the women beat them. And so they want to have a rematch. Uh, We did some street ministry in Austria. Uh, 
This time, when we're in Austria, we're going to focus on Salzburg and the refugee community there. We were introduced to them last trip, but that was not our specific target. This time it will be. Uh, we have churches and missionaries who are working with the refugees from Syria, Somalia, uh, Iraq, and Iran. They believe that God has brought the nations to them, and they want to minister to these folks. Uh, many of them have left their countries fleeing for their lives, and they simply need to be loved. And when we were there last time, the weekend we were there, 20 former Muslims had accepted Christ and were baptized. And uh, we want to be a part of that ongoing ministry. So we are grateful for the, uh, the assistance that Houghton Wesleyan Church has been a part of. And we would appreciate your prayers as we prepare for this trip and then as we undertake it. Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
bulletin, but uh, also I want to mention to you that uh, Jerry Alderman died this week after having a stroke uh, earlier in the week, and uh, arrangements are are pending, probably not for a few weeks, maybe mid-April. I know they would appreciate our, fa- our prayers as well as the family of Kay Lindley, and there are others that uh, we want to remember in our prayers today as well. Lord, as we gather today, we know that sometimes life can be hard. There are days in which we just don't know how to say it any other way. And in those moments, we we struggle and we recognize how much we need your help. And we come to you for help because we know that you care. That your creation is important to you. And that you welcome honest and even weary prayers. We pray for your grace today upon all who are struggling with with grief and illness, with pain and trouble. We pray for the families of Kay Lindley and Jerry Alderman. We ask that that your grace would be upon them in their grief and their pain and their, their loss. Comfort them, each one. And for others who are grieving, we pray, Father, for your continual comforting presence in our lives and in our hearts. Father, we, we also pray that you would heal all of our diseases through the grace and power of who you are. We pray that you'll give hope and courage and healing strength to Leonard Watson. Leighton Sanisa, Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, and Tim Nichols, and Bob Brown, Louise Princell, Hudson Hess, Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher, and Peter Lingenfelter, Chuck Barrett, and Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Doris Asepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds and our hearts today. Father, we thank you for for the the opportunities that we have to serve each other in the church, to to teach each other, to, to encourage each other and challenge each other. And we thank you that that goes on in other places as well. We pray today for the Belfast United Methodist Church and Pastor Nancy Russell. May your grace be upon this congregation of believers as they serve you and serve one another and serve their community. May they know the power of your spirit and your grace upon them. We pray, Father, for our nation. We think of people who are continuing to recover from tragedies and disasters and and every week they seem to be more and more. We pray for your healing grace for those in this country and around the world. We pray, Father, for the leaders of our nation. We pray that you would give them strength and wisdom in the roles that they serve. We pray, Father, for, for the, the, the world beyond us. And we think of refugees around the world. Bring to them safety. We pray for people who live in places of war and violence. And ask that you would bring peace. Father, 
we pray for your church around the world. As Dave has shared this morning about this, this missions trip, we pray your anointing would be upon him and the students as they prepare to go. May their time there truly bear fruit. May they renew acquaintances and connections. And may through their, through their service, through their ministry, through their presence, may you speak into the lives of people who have needs. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters uh, in India today who have had increasing difficulties and oppositions to their faith. We pray, Father, for, for people like Kuzum, whose family, people are blaming her and her, for her, uh, her family's blaming her and her community's blaming her for illness and death in her family because she's a Christian. We ask, Father, that you would protect her, give her courage and strength and those like her as they face difficulties that, quite frankly, are are not typically the kinds of difficulties that we face. We ask for your grace to be evident in your church in these very difficult places. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your presence with us. Give us grace to continue to trust you as we surrender to you. We ask all of this through the mercy of Christ who goes to the cross for us and who leaves for us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Matthew 27, 32 to 44. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they had placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on the right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. 
In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. May the Lord bless the word, reading of the word. The children can be dismissed for junior church and children's church.
Please be seated. I suspect that most of us would say that uh, we're probably common people. You know, we, we're not famous. We're not infamous. When it comes to our spiritual walk, probably most of us would not say, I'm a spiritual giant. Hopefully we wouldn't say, I'm a, you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm depraved spiritually either. I I think most of us sort of see ourselves as just common, ordinary followers of Jesus. And when we think about people who are giants, we think about other people. When we think about people who are at the other end of the spectrum, we think about other people. And I suspect that's probably an accurate description of most of us. The thing that I find is when we read the scriptures, the scriptures seem to to reveal to us people, or at least we interpret it that way, people who are at the ends of the spectrum. We have people who are spiritual giants. We talk about Moses and, and Joshua and David and Abraham and Paul. And we have people at the other end of the spectrum that, uh, that we are trying to, to avoid you know, there are not many people in the church who want to be Judas. And so we, we find ourselves in the middle, and sometimes we find it hard to relate to the people of Scripture. And I think as we think about the shadow of the cross falling on the people who surround the cross, there are a lot of people there who are on the extremes. And when we look at that, we don't necessarily just automatically say, well, I, I would identify with the Pharisees and the chief priests, or I identify with Pilate, or, or I identify even with those, those 12 guys who spent three years walking and talking with Jesus. And we might think that maybe the shadow of the cross doesn't fall on people who are common like us. But it does. One of the things that fascinates me about the the story that the gospel writers give us are the details that they include and, quite frankly, the details they leave out. And when we read the story of of the cross here in Matthew 27, and you basically get the exact same words in Mark 15, what intrigues me is that, that the writers tell us that there were people passing by. And they tell us something about those people. These are unnamed people. We don't, we don't know anything about them. We don't, know, we don't know who they are. We don't know where they come from. We don't know a thing about them. But the gospel writers tell us there were people passing by. And they get involved in the story. And you, when you think of the limited space in the gospels... Mark only has 16 chapters. Mark, it marks the smallest gospel, and yet Mark mentions to us that there are people passing by. 
And I suspect these are common people like you and me. Now, you know, they, these people are passing by and, and you have to wonder, what is it about them that draws attention to the gospel writers? When you're thinking about somebody, we think about passing by, it, it's sort of this, we use the term probably passing through. These are people who did not come to a crucifixion. These are people who are on their way somewhere else. They have a different destination. Calvary is not their destination. They're going either into Jerusalem or they're coming out of Jerusalem. They aren't intending. This is not their stopping place. And that's what passing by is, right? I mean, we, we drive around here all over the place. And I suspect there are towns you drive through that you, you just pass by. You, you never stop there. That's never your destination. You know anybody who lives there. It's just a place you pass through. I sometimes wonder, as I'm, you know, sitting in my office or just kind of thinking about this, I, I wonder if there are people who are not from the area who pass through Houghton and think, why would anybody live there? Now, if you live here, you might ask yourself the same question sometimes. Why would you want to live in such a place? You know, because when you drive through town, there's really not much on 19 that would, I mean, you may, you know, grab something to eat in one of the places. But, but you know, until, unless you drive up the hills and see the academy and the college and things, you, would, you wouldn't understand why this would be a destination place for people. For lots and lots of people, and even as I'm standing here, I'm watching cars go by the road. For lots and lots of people, it's just a place you pass by. And, and, and I wonder if people are saying, what would make us stop at this place? Something has to make us stop and say, that's worth spending a few moments. And I think that's what we see happening in the gospel. These people are passing by. They're going to a completely different destination, but something grabs their attention. And what is it that grabs their attention? What is it that causes them to stop? It's an execution. And the question in my mind is, who stops for an execution? It makes me think of the Old West, you know, where, where we had these public executions and all these people came around and there are stories of people, you know, having picnics and all these things. I think, yikes. It's not a coincidence that, that the crucifixions take place on this road. This is, not a, this is not a side road off somewhere that very few people travel. Now, our, our mindset about executions in our culture is we try, to, we try to privatize them as much as possible. The Romans had the exact opposite perspective. They wanted them to be public because they wanted everyone passing by to see this is what happens when you go against us. This is what happens to people who are enemies of the state. That's why Pilate puts that placard above the cross that says, King of the Jews. You want to be a king? Here's what happens. You, when you try to go against the power of the Roman Empire, these are the kinds of things that happen to you. And you do that on a very public road with lots of people passing by and people get the message. It's Passover too. There are... There are Thousands and thousands of pilgrims who have come to the great festival of Passover in Jerusalem. Lots of people who would not be there all the time. And they're just passing through on their way to sacrifice and to worship or finishing and coming out. And they're all going to see this. They're passing by. And they stop. 
What fascinates me is that the, both Mark and Matthew tell us that when they stop, they start mocking Jesus. They shake their heads, which is a mocking kind of symbol, and they, sh- and, they, and they speak words of mockery to Jesus. You almost get the sense that they started, but I have a feeling they sort of get swept up in the crowd. They swept, they're swept up in this crowd of people who are mocking Jesus, who are saying this. They're asking, what's this going on? What's happening here? And the words start, they start, people start telling them, oh, this guy, is, he's, he said he's going to tear down the temple. He's going to destroy our faith. He's going to get us all in big trouble. And they say, well, we don't want that. And so they start hurling insults at Jesus. Isn't it easy to get caught up in the crowd? particularly when you're just passing by and all you know is the little bit of information that someone whispers in your ear. It worries me a little bit about the political landscape of our culture that it it seems to be more about fear than anything else. It doesn't matter what part of the political landscape you find yourself on, left, right, somewhere in, in the middle, when we, when we start listening to the voices of fear, voices of anxiety, we start doing things we would never dream of doing. And this crowd gets caught up in mocking Jesus and hurling insults at Jesus, just like everybody else is doing around them. But it's not just mocking. In Luke 23, he tells us that the crowd stands around and watches Jesus. They aren't participating in it. They're just standing there watching, and the leaders are scoffing. It makes us feel better to watch it and not participate. We think not participating, not doing the mocking is better than than doing it, and we're probably right. It's probably better to stand and watch and observe than to actually be involved in hurling insults at people who are going through pain. But Jesus seems to tell us that it's not good to do that either. I was reminded of Matthew 25 when Jesus says, he he says, uh, those of you separating the, the goats and the sheep and the left and the right, and he says, and they, and they said, like, what happened here? And he said, well, what you did unto the, what you did, didn't do unto the least of these, you didn't do to me. It's not enough to be neutral. The call of the gospel is to be involved. In, in Andy Crouch's book, Strong and Weak, it's based on a, on a two-by-two chart that has four quadrants to it. And it's based on the ideas of authority and vulnerability. And he talks about the fact that there is high authority, low authority, high vulnerability, low vulnerability. And it's a fascinating book about how we interact with each other in the world. And he says, people of high authority, people have lots of authority, people have the power and the influence to, make, to do good in this world. This is how he's describing authority. People have have a lot of of influence and choose Jesus, who has all the influence and power in the world, chooses high vulnerability, the cross, to communicate the message of the gospel. But he said there are other quadrants too. 
There are people in this world who have low authority. They have very little power and influence to change anything in the world. And they have high vulnerability. Their lives are at risk continually. Their well-being is at risk continually. And these are people who suffer. These are people in many places of the world. And then you have the fourth quadrant. And these are people who have high authority and low vulnerability. These are the people who, who tend to be exploiters. They are the ones who take advantage of the people in the suffering quadrant. And they have all the power to do good in the world, but they choose not to do it. And then you have, and we look at those and we say, yeah, we get that. It's the third quadrant that I think this is speaking to about, about neutrality. Where we have, we have low authority and we have low vulnerability. We, we, it's a culture that says, I don't, really, I don't really want to use any of the power or authority that I might have. I'm just backing away from it. I'm giving it up. And I don't want to be vulnerable either. I want to give that up. I'm not going to risk. I'm just going to play it safe. He says, Crouch says, maybe the, the clearest example of that is virtual reality. Where, where we, we, we uh, uh, pretend to be involved in the world without really being involved in the world. And, and, and when we play, we play virtual reality games, we, bad things may happen to us, but they don't really happen to us. And we might do great things, but we're not really doing great things. It's all virtual reality. And the call of the gospel is to not live in virtual reality. Because here's the thing, when the shadow of the cross falls on us and on these people passing by, you look up. When you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you walk into the shadow of a tall building, you can't help but look up and say, what caused that shadow? And here are these people passing by and the shadow of the cross falls on them and it falls on us. And you look up and what do we see? We see agony and suffering and pain. And some people mock that because it feels like power. You know, mocking is a a form of of power. Because we only mock people that we feel of power over. You know, when I was in, when I was young, I know it's hard to believe, but I was a scrawny little kid. When I started high school, I wasn't even five feet tall. I did not do a lot of mocking in those years. (laughs) I didn't pick on the, the senior captain of the football team. But when I became a senior, there are always freshmen you can pick on, right? There's a sense of power. And mocking is a form of power. What's Jesus going to do to them from a cross? Even the religious leaders say things to Jesus while he's hanging on the cross that they never, they never said when he was standing in the temple. And in fact, he says to them, so what's up? Why didn't you tell you this to me in the temple? Because you didn't have to feel the power then. When the shadow of the cross falls on us, there is that sense. But more than likely for most of us, when we look up and we see pain, what we want to do is withdraw. It's too much. It's too big. It's too deep. It's too much of a risk to get involved. But the call of the gospel is to risk. The call of the gospel is is that God opens our eyes to pain. He gives us a vision of the world's pain. 
emotional pain, spiritual pain, physical pain, mental pain, all of the ways in which God's creation is in pain and struggling. And he opens our eyes to that. And the choice before us is to risk or to withdraw. And the most natural thing to do is to withdraw. Part of the, one of the reasons that we, we talk about withdrawing is because sometimes the pain's overwhelming. You can't, you can't address every pain in the world. It's too much. It's too big. It's too great. I was thinking about that a month or so ago during the, the missions convention when we went in into all of these different places. And people were talking about the, the ministry in Russia and, and Wycliffe and even our local things and, and what was going on with the Muslim people. And, and every time I walked in and I listened to this, my, I was overwhelmed by the great need, the burden, the pain, the struggle. It's too much. And then I stepped back and realized, but we're not called to do it all. We're called to the place where we are. We're called to do something about what God reveals to us. We don't have to solve every problem. We just have to address the things that God places in front of us. The things that God opens our eyes to. And that's the call of the gospel. I think what, what sometimes happens is that because we feel so overwhelmed, we just back up and say, I just, I can't do it. Sometimes it's because we don't want to risk It's putting ourselves in a difficult place if we stick out our necks and get involved. What if something happens to me? What if I end up experiencing what Jesus does? The truth is, God's people have been enduring things like Jesus does throughout the centuries. Because it's the call of the gospel. It's who he is. It's who he wants us to be. And as we think about standing in the shadow of the cross, what strikes me is that what's going on in our hearts might be most adequately revealed in the passing by moments of life. It's not that hard to do the right thing when we are preparing ourselves to do the right thing that we know is coming. We can be nice to people when we know we we are going to encounter a situation where we need to be nice to people. We can share the gospel of Jesus with people when we know we're going to about to enter into a situation where we're going to share the gospel with people. We can embrace people when we know that embracing them is our destination. But it's those passing by moments of life, the unexpected moments with unexpected people in unexpected places. We're just living our lives. We're just passing by. And God brings someone to us. Those are the moments when I suspect what's in our hearts is revealed. It 
It's in those moments that we get a glimpse of, of what's really important to us. And whether or not we are really open to the leading of the Spirit in us. I mean, isn't that what the, what the parable of the Good Samaritan is really about? I mean, this is a story about people passing by. Three men pass by this man who is, who is deeply wounded, critically injured. And they're just walking along the road. This guy's not their destination. Jerusalem is their destination. They're on their way on this road. They're just walking along, minding their own business, thinking about where they're going. And they pass by this man. And I think Jesus is telling us, when they pass by this man, what's really going on in their hearts is revealed. And the two people you would expect keep on walking. And the one guy no one would ever expect stops. And what's the context of Jesus telling that story? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? What does it mean to love my neighbor? Who is the neighbor, Jesus, that I'm supposed to love? And Jesus, in essence, says, the people in need that you walk by, that you pass by. Those unexpected people in unexpected places. Unexpected situations. And the reason Jesus says that and tells that parable is because that's who he is. That's what he does. Jesus is simply telling us this is the heart of God. The cross would be shallow and empty if Jesus had not spent his entire life caring for, loving, ministering to people he passed by. And the Gospels are filled with stories of Jesus encountering people as he's passing by. Most of his healings take place with people he's passing by. Most of the transformed lives take place in unexpected moments. He's just passing by. Because Jesus has the vision of his Father. This is who God is. And this is who God has called us to be. That as we stand in the shadow of the cross and we see the pain of Jesus, we see the pain of the two thieves next to Jesus, our hearts are stirred the way Jesus' heart is. Because it's Jesus in all of this pain who says, Father, forgive them. Love them. Care for them. This is the heart of the gospel. That Christ wants to so change our vision and our hearts that passing by moments of life become moments when Jesus is revealed in us through his spirit. The thing about the shadow of the cross is that, again, our natural inclination is to run from the pain. But if we'll stay there and let it all come at us and be open to it, we find once again that in the shadow of the cross, it's not just conviction, but it's grace. 
It's the grace of God. Because in that moment when we are standing there and the shadow of the cross and the pain that's overwhelming us, we are reminded of what God has done for us in our pain, in our burdens, in our struggles, in our lives. That God sees us as people to be loved, to be transformed, to be changed through his grace. As we stand in the shadow of the cross, we're really asking God to do is to just give us his vision. Give us his heart. That we might see each other and see others the way he does, the way he sees us. Father, we thank you Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you speak to common people like us and you want to use us. Work in our hearts. Open our eyes. Give us your vision through the grace of Jesus. Amen. stand and join us as we sing.
Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.